Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we present the second in a series of episodes featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Mark. Hello. Mark is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited him to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. So, Mark, what are we listening to today? Today, we are listening to The Shadow Challenged from X-1. No, it's, it's actually <laughs> The Shadow. The Shadow made his radio debut in 1930 as the sinister host of the detective story Magazine Hour, a radio series based on the magazine of the same name. This version of The Shadow was played with malevolent glee by Frank Reddick, who, eight years later, would play the doomed reporter Carl Phillips in Mercury Theater's infamous War of the Worlds broadcast. The mysterious voice of The Shadow proved so popular that publishers Street and Smith hired writer Walter B. Gibson to transform their radio host into the crime-fighting star of his own pulp magazine. In turn, the popularity of the pulp magazine inspired another Shadow radio series. This time, the Shadow was more than just a host. He was the protagonist. Debuting September 26, 1937, this new incarnation of the Shadow starred two up-and-coming radio stars, Orson Welles and Agnes Moorhead. When Welles left the role in 1938, he was replaced by veteran radio actor Bill Johnstone. In contrast to Wells' brooding intensity, Johnstone brought maturity and a sense of authority to the voice of the shadow, while at the same time revealing a lighter side to Lamont Cranston, particularly in his interactions with Margot. The Shadow Challenged was written by Jerry Devine, who scripted most of the 1940 and 1941 seasons of the program. According to the Shadow Wiki, the program's producers admired the simplicity of Devine's scripts, and often sent them to prospective writers as examples of how to write for The Shadow. The Shadow Challenged features the return of the original voice of The Shadow, Frank Reddick. To say any more about Reddick's role would spoil the story. So now, please enjoy The Shadow Challenged, starring Bill Johnstone, Marjorie Anderson, and Frank Reddick. First broadcast January 19th, 1941. It's late at night, and the chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices.
thrilling adventures of the shadow are on the air, brought to you each week by the Blue Coal Dealers of America. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. While they set the stage for today's shadow drama, let me ask you a brief but vital question. Have you heard about the new easy three-way plan for better home heating? It's the Blue Coal Plan, with the accent on convenience, economy, and comfort. Blue coal in your furnace means a steady-burning, longer-lasting fire that heats your home comfortably from cellar to attic. Next time you order fuel, insist upon blue coal. Your neighborhood blue coal dealer will be glad to explain his three-way plan for better home heating. Phone him tomorrow, won't you? The shadow, mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. As the shadow, Cranston is gifted with hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's story, The Shadow Challenge. speak to him. And please don't put more calls through, operator. I'm busy working and I don't wish to be disturbed. Thank you. Now, let me see. Where was I? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry to interrupt your work, Professor Rice. Who is that? Who is speaking? I see no one. I am called the Shadow. The Shadow? I've heard of you. Uh, what are you doing here? That manuscript you're translating, Professor Rice. It is of great value, is it not? Yes, of course. I want you to give it to me, Professor. Give you this manuscript? Why? Why, that's impossible. It, it's not mine. It belongs to the museum. It, it's a direct key to ancient Hindu culture. I know. That's why I've come here. I want that manuscript. Now, see here. I've always had a great respect for you, Shadow. You work for the forces of good against the forces of evil. But now, you're behaving like a common thief. Give me that manuscript. No, no. Very well. I see that I must use other methods. What do you mean? What are you going to do? This is what I'm going to do, Professor Rice. Oh, Shadow. Shadow. Why did you do this? <laughs> oh, Lamont Cranston. To think that I believed you all these years when you told me what a golfer you were. Oh, I just had an off day, that's all, Margot. Even the best of his experience, though. Besides, I'm not used to playing in the sun. You weren't in the sun. Huh? You were in a nice, shady wood. You never saw the fairway all day. <laughs> all right, you win. <laughs> Do we have time for a swim? I think so. Oh, Extra, good. I've got to vindicate my athletic ability in some fashion. Big snowstorm, <laughs> Extra. Uh, don't hey, you ever change that headline down here? Well, not till I think of a better one. Paper, mister? All right, here you are. Thank you. Extra entire northern states buried by snowstorm. Read all about well, it. Well, how bad was the storm? How many feet of snow? Margo, you're talking like a tourist. All they need is a flurry up north to cause a headline like this. Oh, really? Oh, sure. You get used to these headlines after you hear... Margo. What? Margo, look at this. What is it? A story on the front page. Museum professor murdered by the shadow. By the shadow? Well, that's what it says. 
Professor Rice of the Cosmopolitan Museum was found dying in his apartment late this evening by the police. In a deathbed statement to Commissioner Weston, he described his assailant as an invisible man who called himself the Shadow. Well, Lamont, that's impossible. How do you explain it? I have no explanation. But one thing is certain. We're catching the next plane north. And you say, Commissioner Weston, that the dying man swore that his assailant was the shadow? That's right. Well, somehow I can't believe that. Now, look, Miss Lane, facts are facts. Well, what Margot means, Commissioner, is that she can't believe that the shadow would do such a thing. Well, that's her opinion. Me, I think different. What do you mean? I've always suspected that the shadow was a criminal at heart. Why? Otherwise, why would he always remain invisible? Oh, I tell you, he's a bad egg, and this murder confirms it. Uh, This uh, manuscript, Commissioner, the one that the killer stole from Professor Rice... What do you know about it? Well, it's, it's something that the professor was working on. Rice and three other scholars are employed by the Cosmopolitan Museum, specializing in, uh, I don't know, restoration and recreation of ancient Hindu culture. Yes, I'm acquainted with all of them and their work. Well, you probably know more about it than I do. Anyway, this manuscript was very valuable to them. But what value would it have to anyone else? That's out of the department, Miss Lane. My job is, who put it to the corpus delicti? In other words, who killed Professor Rice? The answer to that is the shadow. And the motive? Larceny, my friend. Good old-fashioned larceny. Shadow wanted that manuscript, and he killed the guy to get it. Commissioner, I don't think that the shadow had anything to do with it. Look, I heard the accusation with my own ears just before the erstwhile Professor Rice gave up the ghost. Nevertheless, I can't believe the shadow is guilty. And I hope to be able to prove my point. How? Well, with your permission, I'd like to go to the museum and talk to Professor Rice's associates. See what I can learn. Go ahead. Go ahead, my friend. We'll leave the car here, Margot. I believe that the night entrance to the museum is in this wing. Lamont, do you suppose that someone has discovered your secret and is misusing it in the shadow's name? That's possible, Margot. Well, what else could it be? Well, perhaps Weston is putting the blame of the crime on the shadow to excuse his department's inability to solve the murder. Oh, Lamont, what a horrible thing to do. Well, it's just a supposition, Margot. Well, here we are. We'll have to ring for the watchman. What do you expect to find out here, Lamont? Well, I want to talk to the other professors and find out more about the missing manuscript. Yes? What is it? Oh, good evening. We wish to see either Professor Carter or Hagen or Professor Amund. Yes? Uh... I know they're working here this evening. Are you expected? Yes, yes, we are. Oh, well, come in. Thank you. We seldom have visitors at this late hour? Well, I I guess not. I must ask you to walk quietly, please. They do not like to be disturbed. You mean the professors? Oh, no, not the professors. I mean those that live here. Oh, are there people there? This is their time to rest. Who? Those that you see about you, the statues, the paintings, tires them, you know. People staring at them through the day. Oh, yes. Yes, I can understand that. Lamont, does he mean... Margot, the the statues must appreciate your consideration for them, sir. Oh, oh, yes, yes, they do. They know that I watch over them uh, through the night. Uh, There is the door to the offices. I, uh... I must leave you here. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, 
Yes, it was nice of you to show us the way. Not at all. Good night. Good night. Yes. Good night. Hmm. Cheerful fellow. Makes you feel right at home. <laughs> yes. Well, let's go in, Margo. Oh. Oh. It's you, Mr. Cranston. I I didn't expect to see anyone. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Miss Lane, Professor Carter. How do you do? How do you do, Miss Lane? Uh, won't you go into the office? Professor Armand is there. I have to consult a file. I'll be right back. Oh, yes. Uh, thanks, Professor Carter. Well, come along, Margo. All right. May we come in? Oh, yes. Yes, of course, Mr. Cranston. Do come in. Well, thank you. I don't believe you know Miss Lane. No, I have never had the pleasure. Uh, this is Professor Armand, Margot. How do you do, Professor? I am most delighted to make your acquaintance. Won't you both be seated? Thank you. Thank you. I uh, spoke to Professor Hagen this afternoon. Did he explain to you the purpose of my visit? Yes, he did. You are interested, I believe, in solving the murder of our most worthy colleague, Professor Rice. Yes. A very noble endeavor. I thought I might begin by learning more about the manuscript that Professor Rice was working on when he was killed. An excellent beginning. <laughs> yes. Um, what was its value, Professor Armand? The missing manuscript was quite priceless in rarity. But its monetary value was slight indeed because any attempt to resell it would bring immediate arrest. Well, Professor, what was in the manuscript? I must confess that I do not know. You see, it was one section of a single volume that the four of us were translating. Each of us took one quarter of the work. The uh, work deals with ancient Hindu culture, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, would it by any chance contain any secrets... Secrets of that civilization which could be of value to someone today? I fear that I am not at liberty to answer that question, Mr. Cranston. Perhaps... Perhaps Professor Hagen might be of greater service to you. He is our superior, you know. Uh, where is the professor? He's working in the laboratory upstairs. I shall be most willing to go up and get him for you. Uh, but can't you possibly... I shall return in a moment with Professor Hagen. You will excuse me, Miss Lane, Mr. Cranston. Thank you. Oh, yes. Well, hmm. our Hindu friend didn't appear to be too willing to talk. No. I believe he knows much more than he can to tell. Lamont, I wonder if... Hmm. Should we answer it? Well, I... Oh, I suppose I'd better. Hello? To whom am I speaking? Uh, this is Lamont Cranston. Oh, then I can leave my message with you. Uh, certainly. What is it? Of the three men who once were four, one more is about to die. Who is this? Who's speaking? <laughs> the shadow. The shadow? Hello? Hello? What's the matter, Lamont? That person on the phone called himself the shadow. Then there is an in-person. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry to be so long. Oh, Professor Carter, someone just called on the phone. He said that one of you three professors is about to die. What? It might be a crank, but we can't take any chances. Where are the others? Upstairs in the laboratory. You'd better take us up there at once. Oh, yes, yes. Follow me. Uh, up these stairs. Come along, Margo. I can't imagine who's... Ah! There's trouble up there. Hurry, Carter. It sounds like Armit's voice. Go right in here. What's wrong in... Oh! Oh, Margo, you, you'd better stay out of here. It's not a pleasant sight. Armit, what happened? What happened to Professor Hagen? I found him so on the floor, dying. Oh. Was he still alive when you got here? Yes. Could he talk to you? Did you learn anything? Yes, he told me that his attacker was an invisible man 
who called himself the Shadow. Well, Margot, we now have definite proof that someone is impersonating the Shadow. Yes, Lamont, but what can you do about it? Don't worry, Margot. I've always used the power of the shadow to aid the forces of law and order, to help good conquer evil. Yes, I know. And now that someone else has discovered my secret of invisibility and is misusing this power, I shall travel to the ends of the earth to conquer him. This, Margot, is the shadow's greatest challenge. But I'm sure that I can meet it and come out on top. find out how the shadow meets his challenge in just a moment. But first, are you running your home on a budget plan? If you are, then every penny counts. And you can save not only pennies, but dollars by heating your home with blue coal. Yes, any way you look at it, blue coal gives you more for your money. It burns better, lasts longer, distributes dependable, healthful heat that will cut down your heating costs. And no wonder, you see, blue coal is America's finest hard coal. It comes from the heart of the northern Pennsylvania anthracite field, thousands of feet below the surface where only the choicest hard coal is mined. What's more, with every order of blue coal, you enjoy the extra home heating service and free advice of your neighborhood blue coal dealer. Besides, he'll give you a free demonstration of the blue coal automatic heat regulator. Just as its name implies, the blue coal automatic heat regulator regulates the heat in your home by operating furnace dampers automatically. You simply set the thermostat, and the heat regulator does the rest. Blue coal and a blue coal heat regulator work together with clock-like precision to increase your comfort and reduce wasted fuel. Ask your neighborhood blue coal dealer about this modern way to heat your home. His name is listed in the Where to Buy It section of your classified telephone directory under the words Blue Coal. Call him tomorrow. And now, back to the shadow. Lamont, have you uncovered any clues? Any leads as to the identity of this person who's masquerading as a shadow? Nothing important, no. But in the past 12 hours, I have received two mysterious unsigned messages. Really? What about? I'll read you one of them. It says... Why don't you inquire into the jealousy of the four who now are two? Well, does that refer to the four professors? Yes. And I learned that it's quite true. A great jealousy existed. All four men, although they worked together, were constantly vying with one another for individual glory. Then that's why the original manuscript was divided among the four of them. Exactly. Well, Lamont, you mentioned that you received two messages. What was the other one? Well, I, I have it here. Now listen to this. What were the secrets to be found in the manuscript that was being translated by the four who now are two? And did you learn the answer to that question? Well, not very satisfactorily. I can only guess that these secrets were of an occult nature. Secrets of the ancient Orient. I see. And it was in the Orient, Margot, that the shadow learned his secret of invisibility. Yes, of course. Lamont... Who could have sent those messages? I don't know his identity, but judging by the phrases he used, they were written by the same man that I spoke to on the telephone. The man who calls himself the Shadow. But why should he be helping you? I wish I knew. In any case, Margot, his messages bear further investigation. So I think I shall begin by paying a call on Professors Carter and Amud as the Shadow. Shadow. <laughs> 
you by any chance have a feeling of uneasiness, my dear Professor Carter? How do you mean? We still have in our trusted possession the remaining parts of the manuscript. That would make us, shall I say, logical victims. Then you believe, Professor Ahmed, that we too are marked for death? That was not my statement. I merely point to the past as a warning of the future. Well, that's a pleasant picture. If you don't mind, Professor, I'd rather not hear any more of your prophecies tonight. Very well, if that... <laughs> what was that? You'll pardon my intrusion, gentlemen. Who speaks? I see no one. Allow me to introduce myself. I am called the Shadow. Shadow? He's coming he's come here to kill us. Oh, now, don't be alarmed, Professor Carter. I shan't harm you. I've merely come here seeking information. It is true. It is true, just as we have heard. You are invisible, Mr. Shadow. Yes. Very interesting. Very. How do you achieve this invisibility? By hypnotizing your minds, gentlemen. Uh, are you here to kill us as you did the others? I did not kill the others, Professor Carter. That was done by an imposter who used my name. And you can both help me to trap this masquerading murderer. Help you? How? By telling me what I wish to know. By answering my questions. What, what are your questions? What precious secrets were contained in the manuscripts that were stolen? Secrets? I do not understand. No evasions, please, Professor Armwood. You are both working on sections of that book. What is it about? What mysteries of the ancient Orient does it reveal? I am afraid you have been misinformed, my dear Shadow. Hasn't he, Professor Carter? Oh, yes. Yes, there are no secrets. You're lying, both of you. Lying? Yes. And your lies are most incriminating. You see, gentlemen, I happen to know the circumstances surrounding the death of Professor Hagen. And based on these circumstances, either of you could have been his murderer. That's not true. You don't know what you're saying, Shadow. Ah, but I do. So shall we say, gentlemen, that it might be wise for you both in the future to be much more careful. Lamont, did you learn anything from Armwood or Carter? Uh, nothing definite. They wouldn't talk, either one of them. Well, what's to be done now? I'm not sure. I think that I'll... I'll take it. Right. Hello? Is this Lamont Cranston? Yes? I just want to tell you that of the four who now are two, one more is about to go. Who is this? You know who this is, Mr. Cranston. I am the Shadow. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Oh, Lamont. Was that the imposter? Yes. He's delivered another warning. What was it? Another one of the professors is marked for death. Oh, which one? He didn't say. We must warn them both at once. Come on, Margot. Carter lives right down the street. We'll go to his place first. If he's all right, we'll call Ammon from there. But come quickly. We must hurry. Professor Carter. Professor Carter. Lamont, do you suppose something's happened to him already? We'll soon find out. I'll use the skeleton key. I hate to do this, but... Uh, there we are. Come on, Margot. Professor Carter! Lamont, look. The living room. There's been a fight. Yes, furniture overturned, lamps broken. But where's Carter? I'll look in the bedroom. Carter! Carter, are you in there? Any sign of him, Lamont? No. This is the only other room in the apartment. What could have happened to him? I don't know. It's quite obvious, though, that he was the one selected as the next victim. This whole thing becomes more baffling every minute. Quite the contrary, Margot. I think it becomes increasingly clear. What do you mean, Lamont? Before we came here, Margot, I was practically convinced that either Carter or Amud was the one who murdered Hagen and Rice. Lamont, are you serious? Yes, Margot. I felt that one of them had learned something from their share of the manuscript that made them kill to obtain the other men's copies. I see. 
But how was the shadow impersonated? That fits into it too, Margot, very neatly. I learned the secret of invisibility in the Orient. It came from an ancient source. And one of those men could have learned this secret from his manuscript. Yes. Yes, that's very logical. But now that Carter is missing... Yes, that leaves only Amud. And I think we should pay a call on that gentleman at once. We'd like to see Professor Amud, please. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. He's not in his apartment. Uh, when do you expect him? Well, not for some time, sir. He's been called out of town unexpectedly. When did he leave? A short time ago, sir. Did he say where he was going? No, sir. He just said he'd been gone for an indefinite period. I guess that just proves Ahmed's guilt, doesn't it, Lamont? I don't know, Margot. I've been reviewing the entire case in my mind, and several new factors have occurred to me. What are they? Well, let's wait till we get into the apartment. We'll talk over, over a cup of tea. Yeah? All right. Won't you go in, Margot? Yes, yeah, thanks. Lamont, hmm? look, there seems to be a note here right under the door. A note? Let me see it. Here. Well, listen to this, Margot. Tonight at the hour of midnight in the storage room in the basement of the museum, the one whom you seek can be found. Does that mean the person who is masquerading as a shadow? I think it does. What time is it, Margot? Let's see. About 20 of 12. Well, if I don't want to keep our friend waiting, I'd better be getting over to the museum. Well, Lamont, suppose this is a trap of the killers, a scheme to do away with you as he did the others. I'll chance that, Margot. But I want you to get word to Commissioner Weston. Have him at the museum with his men at 12.15 tell him that he will find the murderer who has pretended to be the shadow. Is there anyone here? This is Lamont Cranston. Is there anyone here? <laughs> who is that? Don't let me frighten you, Mr. Cranston. I'm your old friend, the shadow. You are not the shadow? No. How would you know that? Answer me. I repeat, you are not the shadow. I see. And would your knowledge be based on the fact that you yourself are the shadow? Would it, Mr. Cranston? You don't have to answer. I know. I've known for some time now. You are the shadow. What makes you think so? I've followed the activities of the shadow for many years. I was most curious to learn his real identity. I began keeping track of the people who were present before and after all of his appearances. I see. And after discarding many suspects, your search narrowed down to me, is that it? That's it, exactly. And I am the only man who knows the identity of the shadow. Well, I must compliment you on your cleverness. I admit to you, I am the shadow. Yes, but a very powerless shadow at this point. Having learned your secret of invisibility, I've hypnotized your mind before you were aware of me. This time, the real shadow is visible, and I am the one unseen. How did you learn my secret? From the Hindu manuscript. Then you admit the murder of Professor Hagen and Professor Rice? Yes. Yes, unfortunately, they were in the way. Why did you commit these crimes in my name? Because I wanted to attract the attention of you, the real shadow. And I succeeded. I led you on, Lamont Cranston, with my phone calls, anonymous notes. Why? What was your purpose? My purpose was and is to put an end to your activities. After tonight, Mr. Cranston, I alone will be the shadow. And I shall capitalize on this power. You are a fool. Why do you say that? Always working for the powers of good. I shall take real advantage of the name. With a trick of invisibility, the world will be mine. I gather that I'm to be the next victim in your chain of murders. To put it bluntly, yes. <laughs> I should think that you would make sure of your talents for invisibility before you attempted that. 
What do you mean? Unlike your other victims, my mind is not receptive to your hypnosis. What are you saying? I mean that you have been perfectly visible to me ever since you entered this room, Professor Carter. What? You... you see me? Most clearly. And now, if you will observe closely, I shall instruct you in the true art of hypnosis. Look at me, Professor Carter. No. Look at me. No, no. I am disappearing before your very eyes. You see? You see? Wait, wait, you can't do this. You're destroying my power. You hear? You're clouding my mind. Cranston. I am no longer Cranston, Professor Carter. I am the shadow. <laughs> so, you think you've tricked me, do you? You think you've gained the upper hand, but you're wrong. You're wrong. That revolver won't be of much use. How will you ever find your target? I'll find you. I'll find you. <laughs> Try again, Carter. I won't miss this time. Open up in there. Open up. I believe that's the police, Carter. Please. You'd better put down that gun. Let them come and get me. And they'd better come shooting. You'll have to break open the door, Commissioner. We're coming in. And beware. This man here is armed. Keep out of here. I'm warning you. Keep out. You're not going to take me off. Oh. He's been hit, oh. Commissioner. Come ahead. Shut off. So you're here, too. I came here to apprehend that man on the floor. He is the one who used my name in killing Hagen and Rice. What? What are you saying? Look, he's still conscious. Ask him. Ask him. All right. Uh, why, it's Professor Carter. Yes. He was my impersonator. Carter. Professor Carter. Is this true? Yes, that's true. Uh, how did you make yourself invisible? I learned the secret from the manuscript which I've destroyed. Carter. Carter, listen to me. You must know the identity of the real shadow, don't you? Yes. Who is he? Tell me. The real shadow is... You'll never learn now, Commissioner. But I think you should know this. In the future, you must always believe one thing about me. The shadow at all times will be working on the side of right and justice. We'll hear again from the shadow in just a minute. But first, here's John Barclay, America's home heating expert. Mr. Barclay. Thank you, Gene Paul King, and good evening, friends. You know, it's amazing how many people have the idea that there's only one size of hard coal. Yes, and I dare say just as many people think that it makes no difference what size coal they burn in their furnace. As a matter of fact, hard coal is prepared and sold in several home sizes. And it may be that one particular size, or possibly a combination of sizes, will give you the best heat for the least money. Of course, many factors enter into the choice of the size coal for your particular furnace. Factors such as chimney construction draft conditions, and the size of your furnace. At any rate, a trained John Barclay serviceman can give a quick inspection of your heating plant and tell at a glance whether or not you're burning the right size coal. This free inspection is part of the extra home heating service provided by your neighborhood blue coal dealer. So remember, if you're not completely satisfied with the results you're getting, maybe you're burning the wrong size coal. Just phone your neighborhood blue coal dealer first thing in the morning. Thank you. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. The characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does.
does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, the Blue Coal Dealers of America bring you an adventure of the shadow that will amaze you with its breathtaking thrills. So be sure to listen. And be sure to phone your friendly Blue Coal Dealer for greater heating comfort at less cost. This is Gene Paul King saying, keep the home fires burning with Blue Coal. That was The Shadow Challenge from The Shadow here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And we are joined by Mark. Say hello again, Mark. Hello again, Mark. And Mark is <laughs> one of our patrons, and he is our guest patron for this. What is this, Joshua? Is there a, like the month of patron guests, or is there a name for this? Or is there a We've spe- said month of gratitude in the past. That's right, month of gratitude. <laughs> In the past, that was during our grateful <laughs> phase. <laughs> Still our month of gratitude for all the we'll support. We'll get to our month of ingratitude. <laughs> That's where Scott Bishop comes on a lot. <laughs> a uh, special no thank you to this guy. <laughs> but Mark, thank you so much for being a patron, and thank you so much for your pick. But before we dive into what we all thought of it, Mark, tell us why you picked this. Okay, well... My first pick, in all fairness, was an, a series from I Love a Mystery, Bury Your Dead, Arizona. But I recognize that doesn't work in the show's format, um, given it's a multi-part story. But I think, for me, The Shadow was a gateway series into the world of old-time radio. And I love The Shadow. There are just so many great episodes. And I think you've already covered several of my all-time favorites, many of them from the Orson Welles seasons. Um, But this is one that uh, stuck with me over the years that I remember really enjoying. I probably have not listened to this episode in over 25 years. So I'm curious not only to see if it stands the test of time, but does my nostalgia of it hold up as well? Well, I will start with uh, Barrier Dead Arizona is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Not just radio. It's one of my favorite things. God, I love that entire <laughs> series. And you're right. We couldn't do it. But just out of curiosity, Joshua, Tim, have you sat down and listened to Barrier Dead Arizona ever? Have you listened nope. all the way through it? Oh, my God. I have, yes. It is. I had it on a cassette set when I was uh, in college. It is gorgeous. But now, at this point, I have no choice but to start this by acquiescing to the man who also, uh, the shadow was a gateway drug, Joshua. <laughs> uh, this is your wheelhouse, and uh, you really are the aficionado on the shadow on here. Well, what I would like to start with as the shadow aficionado is Frank Reddick, uh, that he was that original voice of the shadow from the pulp series where he was just the narrator. He wasn't an actual crime fighter yet, and people just loved the voice. And so none of those exist anymore. So the only Frank Reddick the Shadow fans have are the Orson Welles openings, because Orson Welles couldn't pull off the laugh. So they did use Frank Reddick's Who Knows What Evil Lurks in the Hearts of Men for all the Shadow episodes. Those are not Orson Welles, that's Reddick. Yeah. And this episode to tell us how Frank Reddick performed the shadow because he plays the evil shadow in this. And so it's also a little bit of meta casting on the part of the program here to have 
dueling shadow actors playing shadows. I thought his performance, as long as we're on the topic, uh, was really nice and really understated, uh, but in a convincing manner. Because if he were too over the top, he wouldn't match Bill Johnstone. I think the first time I remember hearing this, which was not for this podcast, I don't think I caught at first that that wasn't Bill Johnstone, uh, because you have the first scene where the shadow just appears and starts talking to this researcher, the professor. Um, And as soon as he starts saying things like, give me that scroll and then shoots him, you know, it's not really the shadow, but it's a nice trick. Right. I have two favorite scenes in this, and that is definitely my favorite, just because it's just a nice subversion of expectations. I will tell you, as usual, you know, I, I just listened to it and I don't know anything about it. And I didn't know until we read the intro, until you started talking right now, that there was this whole Frank Reddick thing going on. So this is all new to me. I, this is fascinating. Forgive me while I get caught up here and just say, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's cool. It's really cool. And But I'm glad I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Because then I would have had this perspective on it that I'd be listening for something. I was just listening to see, was this a good story or not? So thanks, Cliffy. Uh, your outdated sitcom references (laughs) that was we were choosing between two podcasts to do old time radio or outdated sitcom references and we went with old time radio hey 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 it was a good choice (laughs) oh no (laughs) so where does this rank for you joshua i mean oh that's at the end of the podcast what are your feelings what are my feelings are this the shadow is always great. It's always fun. It's not deep. It gets to the castle. It has action. It's just a warm blanket of great fun. I really enjoyed this one because it was a really cool idea and it was a really cool concept that he gets in a battle with another shadow. It has its... Please, and Joshua, we brought this up before. No matter what shadow you listen to, there are moments of bad dialogue or dialogue delivered weirdly or moments of just corny storytelling just moments but oh sometimes the entire episode sometimes the entire episode (laughs) but i still am very forgiving but this one had it's just so classic the shadow is uh. (laughs) yes it's just fantastically hilarious accidentally there are about four moments in this where there was a dialogue that was weirdly written or weirdly delivered and then there were some loopholes and here's the one they said okay we're gonna go warn these two guys now here's how we're gonna do it first guy he lives just on the street so we're gonna run just down the street and we're gonna warn him once we get there then we're gonna call the other guy and we're gonna tell him could we just call them both right now could we just (laughs) (laughs) why are we running so things like that that they specified and it was uh, peculiar and interesting like we got to warn them simultaneously. Yeah. So, like, we got to see the one guy and call the other one. Yeah. Which I don't know the point of that, but it was... Just call him. Neat. Get out of your house. But you can't call one and then the other. Well, I think it's because the urgency went up once they arrived at the guy's house that was closest to them. So they might as well go there and see if he's safe. And then once it looked ransacked, they went with the immediate route of calling. I always take that a little personally, like, oh... What happened? It looks like somebody broke in and threw everything around. This is just my house. (laughs) (laughs) My point, Joshua, is is that the plan they say out loud is we're going to go down to his house, warn him, and then call the other guy. That's what they said out loud. 
There was another line that Margot uttered at some point. I wish I'd written it down. I should I should take this show more seriously. I should do some <laughs> just some weird delivery lines and, and things like that. Just to be clear, I think The Shadow has so many different phases and styles of stories. And I would categorize this one as being kind of The Shadow as a kid's program. It's yes. very didactic and um, conventional, and it's very concerned that you are following along. Right. Um, so the dialogue really recaps things in case you tuned in two minutes ago. So it's very different from the gonzo weird stuff that's in some episodes of The Shadow or even the early Orson Welles that has a lot of social commentary. There's no social commentary in here at all. Um, Other than they immediately suspect the non-white guy. (laughs) That's maybe some unintentional commentary. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, there's no intentional or even this sort of pulpy, over-the-top violence that's in particularly a lot of the earlier shadows. So I think depending on the type of shadow, uh, you approach it with different expectations. And I think from the very top, it's very clear what kind of shadow this is going to be when uh, the professor ends up saying, I've always had the greatest respect for the shadow. You fight the forces of evil. (laughs) Yeah. Part of my recurring things that tickle me about the shadow is that everyone kind of knows him. Like, oh, yeah, the shadow. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter where they are right yeah yeah oh the invisible guy right and everyone's kind of okay I'm like oh yeah you hypnotize people and fight crime that's weird right that should be weird <laughs> one of the best things about this one though is you don't get to the castle any faster than that and now the shadow no. <laughs> give me the manuscript I'm the shadow. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. We, I mean, some yeah. episodes, you don't even get to hear the shadow until 20 minutes in. Even though it wasn't really him, it was still great. It was like, good, the shadow right away. Yeah, we don't need any backstory. Let's just start with the shadow doing stuff. That's all we're here for. Because screw Lamont Cranston. I don't, I don't care. This does have one of those classic ineffectual shadow scenes where we've spent some time where Lamont Cranston has been asking these professors different questions about what's on the manuscripts that they're translating. And they he knows they're avoiding and giving him a direct answer. So then he appears to them as the shadow and he asks them the exact same questions. Yes. And the professors are like... We're supposed to answer you because you're invisible? <laughs> they're like, no, we're not going to answer you now either. And, and the shadow's like, okay, fine. Yep. And then, I'm invisibly right. leaving now. <laughs> you know, and, and that's one thing. I don't know if it's just the, uh, the Johnstone era or uh, maybe Morrison as well. But I know uh, for Bill Johnstone, I like him as Lamont Cranston. But his shadow, to me, doesn't really have much menace to him. Unlike Orson Welles, that that portrayal of Shadow is fantastic, in my opinion. And here, to me, like that whole scene where he's uh, questioning the two professors, he almost seems like an invisible attorney uh, have, with two witnesses on <laughs> yes. cross-examination. You know, he's yeah. like badgering them, but they're not giving anything up. But I'd like to contrast that with the – I'm skipping to the end here. But I felt like when he was – confronting Professor Carter at the end, there was an element I felt of maybe some menace in his voice that I typically don't hear with Bill Johnstone. And I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I did have that uh, a little spite of you could never be the shadow. Like, I'm mm-hmm. making a gesture of like putting his thumb in his face of 
Yeah, it was well performed because he was savoring the moment where he's just like, dude, I can see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say this production value wise and theater of the mind, his transition and how they did it from being seen to not seen to the echo to the voice change. It was like visualizing Cheney and the werewolf. You know, like you could actually see him disappearing in the transformation and the nose getting bigger and in the, <laughs> yeah. the, the cloak coming around. It was great piece of radio work right there. I loved that moment. When I was going through this, I would you know hit a sort of plot beat of like, oh, it's a evil version of the shadow. Is that derivative to the point of boredom or is that an awesome old chestnut? Awesome old chestnut. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, there's four professors dying one by one. Awesome old chestnut. So every one of these, I would stop and like, ah, they're doing it well and it's fun. And it, my backhanded compliment of the episode is the first time I listened to it. I fell asleep for the end and went, oh, oh, I missed what happened. I don't care. I had a good time. I don't right. care what happens. <laughs> the shadow probably won. Yeah. <laughs> probably. No, that was the last one. That was it, Tim. That was the last one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> one thing I also liked here was you actually had a villain who figured out the shadow's identity yeah. by you know, charting out who was where whenever the shadow appeared. And I guess I'm surprised that no one has done it prior to That's this. That's a great point. You would think that someone in the police department right. would have figured out this pattern thing as they're trying to hunt him down or figure out who it is. That was the, the nice dark twist of, so what's Shadow going to do about this guy who knows who he is? Well, right? and here's the deal. He got saved. I had to rewind. For half a second, I thought the Shadow had shot him. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> wow, wow, that's how you take care of that. <laughs> that raises a question, though. Uh, the surprising thing to me not was that Professor Carter figured out who the Shadow was. It was that Lamont so easily went, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm the Shadow. So at that point, I go, He's got to be thinking that <laughs> Carter's not going to leave this museum alive. Right. So he's got a plan that the co he knows the cops are coming. And even gives the cops a, like, don't shoot him. He's in here. Don't shoot him. Shoot him. You should shoot him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he makes the guy angry enough to just take these random pot shots in a museum full of all these rare <laughs> right. objects of antiquity. And he's just <laughs> firing off left and right. That the Night Watchman is very protective of. We can't forget him. Oh, that's my second favorite scene because I think it's right. just a charming little throwaway scene. It has a hint of red herring to it because he, he seems a little weird and off. And in an Orson Welles episode of The Shadow, he would be the bad guy. Because yeah. it's always I the know. weird little um, nobody who turns out to be the maniacal crazy guy who's trying to kill half the city. But in this one, it's just a charming little eccentric watchman who they chuckle at affectionately and then move on. And uh, w when I realized at the end that, oh, it's just a little scene for color, I thought, oh. I like that they took the time to do that. Yeah, and it's fascinating that they did. Like, usually in that style of storytelling, everything matters, right? Everything is spelling out for you the next step. And even if it's a red herring, usually in this style and genre of, as you said, maybe younger age aimed, they would come back to that at least once 
to let you know, oh, that was a red herring. Instead, it's just color. And you forget about it till the end. But this was light on comical interactions with Lamont and Margot, which John Stone is usually heavy on. We do have the strange scene that took me a moment or two to figure out uh, where they were golfing and in space. <laughs> uh, but they were must have been somewhere south because they had the reports of the snow hitting up north and that was a big story and I, at first I was really confused because like aren't they located in New York but then we find out they have to return to the city because of and this crime and it did imply that in the south the headline is always big snowstorm in the north <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a little strange uh, yeah so maybe they were trying to make up for the lack of comedy there although uh, if you remember in um, one of my favorite Gonzo episodes of The Shadow uh, Village of Doom he can't open the pickle jar so not only <laughs> yep. can he not golf <laughs> he can't open pickle jars he's gonna somehow prove his masculinity by swimming apparently before they hear the news of the the shadow murdering people but we don't get to see that hilarious comic scene it would probably end with margo pulling him out of the <laughs> pool and giving him mouth to mouth kicking sand in his face <laughs> it might be a little attenuated here but margo did make some comment about he spent the whole time in the shady woods or something like that she yes. didn't say the shadows but shady woods <laughs> Right. Margot also has a great line in here. It's like the mid-episode soliloquy before they go to a Blue Coal commercial when the shadow realizes someone has stolen his powers and he gives this big speech, again, repeating what the professor has said at the top. I've always used the power of the shadow to aid the forces of law and order to help good conquer evil. And Margot just goes, yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I was trying to think of. That's it. That's the one. That was a weird read and a weird line. Oh, it's a lovely line because that's what every listener is is saying. Yes, and <laughs> there, you never know. It, there could be the episode where Margot finally just turns around and says, "Why do you do this? <laughs> I don't get you." Uh, and and the shadow it gets really grand in that monologue too about he will travel to the far corners of the earth to conquer this man. I will go to the south, even though all evidence suggests he's in the museum where you're standing right now. <laughs> it's a pretty empty threat. Yeah, I thought they did a, a decent job of also keeping it balanced between the uh, suspicion of Professor Carter and Professor Ahmed. They pronounce his name differently, mm-hmm. I think, throughout the episode. Because one, well, at least at the toward the end, you have one with a ransacked house, but he's not there. And you have the other guy who's mm-hmm. just bolted town, apparently. And also at other points in terms of their whereabouts, I thought, you know, it was pretty balanced. And it could have been either. There was one moment very early on when he's, he's going to go upstairs and talk to Carter, uh, Professor Ahmed, that he stops the, the shadow and goes, like, I'll go talk to him. He says, no, 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 you stay here. But I thought... It's the same guy. He's just going to put on a costume and be a different guy. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all one professor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> slowly murdering himself. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good rewrite. I mean, it's having four jobs is an elaborate setup, but that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> so, Mark, you said you hadn't heard this in 25 years and you're wondering, hey, uh, reality versus nostalgia. Uh, How did you feel hearing it again? I think overall it it was enjoyable. It was a fun episode. Maybe it doesn't stand up with some of the other 
of my favorite episodes of The Shadow from like the Orson Welles era, but I still think it's a really good episode. And the fact that Frank Reddick was the other shadow in this just gives this episode some extra uh, points for that, I think. Like you, in the past, I listened to it and I had no idea that's who I was listening to. But I also think it was just interesting that I don't think at any other time in the show they address this, where you have an evil shadow, you have a villain who figures out uh, the shadow's identity, you have Lamont Cranston admitting that he's the shadow. These are very uh, unique things to this episode that I don't think have a counterpart. There's the Temple Bells of Nibon that has a little similarity in that she remembers Lamont Cranston from the Orient because she was just a little girl then and she has some of his same powers. That's the closest thing I can think of. Yeah, I would agree with that. The one thing I definitely want to mention before we vote is a great theater of the mind moment. And the shadow does this often, but this is just done really well in this one. Um, They run upstairs because they hear the professor scream and they all get to the room he's in and they gasp and then he says oh margo don't look and that's all they say they never say how he was murdered they don't describe it in any way but that visceral response they all have really sells it and i imagine a bloody ugly scene in there yeah that's a just off of that gasp yep that's a really good uh, observation because it wasn't a gunshot this time i don't think we heard gunshots just a scream so he might have done something far more Nasty. Wood chipper. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> they had one of those ancient Mayan wood chippers on display. <laughs> they yep. just shoved the body in. I wondered when they came back from the break in the middle of the show, um Lamont Cranston said he's received these mysterious notes. And it's just I was just curious, is like, how did he receive those? Uh did the shadow, the the fake shadow sneak up and plant them on him, or who knows what? Slid him under his door, carrier pigeon. Yeah, he has a lot of options. Oh, my nemesis provided some more exposition. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, nemesis. So, uh, are we ready to put it to a vote? Yeah, man, let's do it. Tim. Awesome. The, The main thing for this one was, it's fun. It was the sort of public material in my my youth of comic books. Like it has a fun comic book themes, comic book plot, which I realized comic books drew from this probably more so than the other way around. So it is nostalgia, but it's fun nostalgia, and it, it doesn't lose its glow. So it stands the test of time for me. I don't know that necessarily if you're someone who doesn't like these kinds of stories, this would be the one to change your mind and go, yeah. Look, I know fully well what the shadow is. At no point would I say to someone who was on the fence or knew nothing about old-time radio to say, and who was an adult, to say, start with the shadow. There's a lot of nostalgia. Uh, Joshua and I, and possibly even Mark, we listened to a lot of this in our childhood when we were younger. You know, I have the same thing with the Lone Ranger. Like, I, I know what it is. But I think in those child, post-Orson Welles, aimed younger a little more campy. They're better than all the other ones, much better than all the other ones. Uh, as we just pointed out, there are these moments that are actually really cool. I think the plot line of this one is really cool. I like the idea of facing off, you know, Superman versus Superman, right? Like there's some kind of doppelganger thing going on and all of it's great. And the nod to Reddick and all of it, but you got to keep the perspective of how biased we are for a number of reasons. 
so I can't say it stands test time. And I will not say that this one is a classic because for me, all the classic shadows were done by this point because Orson Welles did all of them. And it was... No. <laughs> <laughs> I love Orson Welles, but there are other classics. But for me... The gibbering things? Yeah, good point. Come on. Gibbering things, pretty good. And so uh, all the only thing I can vote on is say, yep, it's hard for me to not enjoy myself listening to the shadow, and I enjoyed this one again. I had a great time. It's a warm blanket of nostalgia and security. <laughs> oh. um, like I said, this is probably my least favorite style of shadow stories. But that being said, it is one of my very favorite of my least favorite style of shadow stories. Like, it is so much fun. It has a great bad guy, as we've already mentioned, a, yep. a really great and surprisingly understated performance of Frank Reddick. And that scenario that we mentioned in our discussion that we rarely see is an adversary for the shadow with comparable powers. And they do that great subversion where the whole time it's extra tense because it's like it's the shadow versus the shadow. And then that adds to the great moment when the shadow finally confronts him and we find out, oh, there is no competition here. Right? Like now that I finally cornered you, I'm way more powerful. <laughs> and so that that makes it much more satisfying. It is nice that uh, in the end. you read this in a book like two weeks ago. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you have nothing. <laughs> You're like a freshman in invisibility school. <laughs> and I'm going to give you an invisible wedgie. <laughs> uh, so, and it's obviously historically significant because of the Frank Reddick performance um, and the fact that his other performances are lost. And and I, I honestly think I'm probably the outlier who loves the, the weirder, stranger Shadows. Um, I, I think most Shadow fans would definitely call this a classic. So I call it a lesser classic, <laughs> but it, it's definitely a significant episode of The Shadow. I would say it stands the test of time. It mostly stands up to my nostalgia of it, my memory of it. I don't know if I would call it a classic or not. I, I think maybe, Joshua, to echo what you said, maybe it is a minor classic. I think it's definitely one of the best episodes of this era of The Shadow. But in terms of The Shadow as a series as a whole, I think it's pretty good. So almost a classic. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to read that uh, the producers really loved John Devine's scripts partly because they were very simple and straightforward, which tells you that that's the direction, at least for a while, they wanted to move the shadow into. They're like, what if these were just simple stories children could follow instead of jackdaws with poison beaks that murder infants? Right, right. Because <laughs> that was just like a year earlier. Right. Uh, I think that was 19, or maybe two years earlier, but it was with one of the very early episodes of Bill Johnstone. That's a big tonal change. <laughs> I have been thinking for the last few minutes about why he doesn't turn invisible while he's playing golf. <laughs> how, could, how would that help him? Oh, you could yeah. go throw the ball anywhere you want. No one would know. You could cheat. But if he turns invisible and does not alter your mind to forget, what I'm saying is he probably did. Okay, how about this? How about this? Forget the cheating part. It would just be crazy. Uh, people would just see a golf club swinging. I'm thinking way too much about invisible golf. Tim, tell him stuff. 
please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. We have many other episodes there. You can comment on them. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your rating is. We we do look at these. We I mean we don't really do much with them, but we look at them. <laughs> People like having their stuff looked at. It's data. <laughs> yes. Uh, at ghoulishdelights.com, you can also uh, send us messages. You can link to our Threadless store and check out some swag. You can also link to our Patreon. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and become a patron like Mark. Mark, hey. how do you like being a patron? Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I am grateful for the work that you guys do, and it's just – I feel it's the least I could do. I don't – I want you guys to keep doing this, and I <laughs> cool. just really appreciate it. And I will also say, I think – in the past, I've lived a fairly sheltered uh, old-time radio life, and uh, I maybe had like five series that I listened to, and now there are all kinds of new shows that I've never listened to before, and even some big shows like Escape. Um, I've never heard Escape before, and I don't know. I just appreciate the variety of shows you bring to the program. I appreciate your discussion, your banter, and also just you've give me whole new layers of appreciation for all these different shows. So it's the least I could do Aww. to show my thanks. Like, yes. thank you. Like playing invisible golf. <laughs> right. <laughs> By banter, he meant like the good banter we do on oh. other episodes. <laughs> oh. Those shows. Hey, if you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company, we do a lot of our own original work, and we also do classic adaptations of good old-time radio shows. So come and see us performing live monthly. Uh, you can find out where we're performing by going to ghoulishdelights.com, and you can find out what we're performing. And if you can't make it to where we're performing because you're not in the area, uh, you can see us performing by becoming a patron because we film it, and then you get that because you're a patron, and you get to watch those for being a patron. All right. I stumbled my way through that one. Uh, what's, what's coming up next? Next, we will be joined by another of our patrons. Ryan will be here uh, with an episode from a series we have never discussed on the podcast before. <sighs> it is Rocky Jordan, and the episode is called The Man from Damascus. Until then... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs>